Welcome, style gurus, to this week's episode of Handcut Radio, a podcast about why menswear matters. I'm Alex Svetkovich, and I'm joined this week by the owner of Connolly England, Isabel Ettegi. Connolly is a discreet British brand with a fascinating story. It was founded in 1878 as a coachhood makers and saddler. Today, Isabel has transformed Connolly into a modern British fashion house, synonymous with luxurious and versatile designs. The house has one very glamorous collection for both men and women, available in six different sizes, with clever pattern work and clothes that range from sumptuous tailoring to suede outerwear, resort wear and, of course, leather goods. Isabel couldn't be more passionate about Connolly if she tried. We talk about how she's built up her brand not once but twice and why change is afoot in luxury retail. Without further ado, here it is. Well, uh, Isabel, tis, what, what an absolute pleasure to be sat here in what has to be the most comfortable recording space of the uh, series so far. Thank you. Bless you. <laughs> um, the shop is looking absolutely stunning. Connolly's uh, Clifford Street shop in London, I should say, for listeners, is, is a really, really remarkable space. And we are sat upstairs in the gallery that hosts uh, art exhibitions for independent artists and creatives. Yeah. Um, so we are surrounded by many stunning, stunning things. I'm feeling very Actually, jealous. A lot of bottoms. A lot of, quite, yes, a lot of bottoms. <laughs> bottoms today. Who, who, who doesn't love bottoms? Um, Marvellous. Um, I couldn't be more comfortable if I tried, Isabel. Good. The idea, <laughs> that is the idea. Yes. Now, of course, we, we, we are, we're here to talk about Connolly and the, the remarkable success that Connolly has seen in recent years, which is... Very gratifying. But um, I, I guess the, the, the best place to start is always at the beginning. Um, I guess you have been... Um, Connolly has been a, a passion of yours for a number of years. Yes. Um, but am I, am I right in thinking you were sort of involved in, in the fashion industry beforehand? I was working with Joseph because we husband. were married. Yeah. So I was working with Joseph more on the sort of advertising... Um, side of his business mm. um, but my my experience was more sort of uh, I suppose you would say marketing and branding I had a below the line advertising agency and Connolly were one of our clients aha the old Connolly family so right. that's I met them and that, yes. so, so, but Connolly of course as it was then was a fundamentally different business to the one that you have it was. It was a finishing... It was a sort of tannery and finishing business, uh, selling and creating beautiful leather hides um, for the automotive industry, car seats and fascias. Quite, and quite literally, the Rolls-Royce of, it of was. car leather. It was on the first Rolls-Royce ever built. It's what tremendous Great, story. It? Yeah. It's just Great. dreamy. Yeah. Um, OK, so, you, so you, that's how you discovered Connolly. Mm. What, what was it that kind of hooked you into the brand... I met the family, and I think when you're sort of third or fourth generation in a business, you often don't see the beauty in it. It's, it's, I, I think they knew that they were very good at what they did, but I, I don't think they could see the potential. And, and I felt very strongly that it just tapped into such a, I don't know if I could say this, but a male sensibility the most beautiful cars in the world, the most iconic aeroplane, Concorde, the most beautiful boats launched, you know, the Queen Mary. Um, Was Connolly involved in all of those? Yes. Just extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. 
It is extraordinary. It was on King George's coronation coach. Oh. I mean, it goes back so far. And, you know, obviously we still supply the royal household, but um, it, it's a sort of, it's the real deal. And the, I'd been involved in branding and advertising and marketing for a long time. And it's very rare where you really feel it's, it's the real, it's authentic. And I, I loved it, but I also thought it had huge potential as a male brand. I just felt if you could get the right designer, the right environment, the right sort of product out there that... It would sink. That, that drew people into this sort of classic car world that sort of everyone dreams of and sort of imagines that they're sort of a part of, yeah. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm waiting for my <laughs> E-Type Jag to, to pull up on the, the drive of my, my pokey Stoke Newington studio at some point. Um, but the beauty with Connolly was exactly that. You didn't actually have to have the E-Type Jag. You could actually have the knitted tie that the person driving the E-Type Jag might have sort of, you know, worn or a little piece of a, a credit card holder or, you know, it was sort of really about aspiration yeah in a really kind yeah and again as you say in an authentic kind of quite pure sense I suppose and a modern way I didn't want it to be a sort of heritage yodi brass style at all so you know we worked with Andre Putman for the design of the shop we worked with Ross Lovegrove to design the first leather collection so it was quite cutting edge it was old but in a new way are we talking at this point of the, the brand's first iteration? Yeah. When was that? That was in... 95. Right. We launched in 1995. Great. So, you, yeah. so at some point you sort of, you uh, approached the family and said, look, I've got a vision for this. Let me take it on. Yes, I'd got to know them very well because we were redoing, we were rebranding them actually. I don't think they imagined a rebranding in quite the way I did, but we, thank you. But we, um, and I said, you know, really... I think we did a competition, a designer chair competition, um, with Joseph, actually. So there's this connection. Ah. And um, through that, people, we had a board of judges like Dayan Sujic, who's now design director of the Design Museum. And um, he said, you know, ooh, there's real potential here. And we all felt that. And uh, so we started this, this sort of retail project for them and an old the old stables in Belgravia and it's where it started oh heaven yeah. I didn't realise so it was yeah. in back there okay yeah but it was mainly leather at that time it was leather product and I added a bit of motoring accessories and the first car shoe uh, of course. <laughs> Pre-tots. <laughs> we had that. We had to go Just all the way slip that in to Varese. It took us four days, me and a, a, a consultant I was working with, Jean-Pierre Gounon at the time, and we went, we just drove all the way through France and Italy looking for this car shoe that he said existed. <laughs> and we found a sample in Monaco, and we drove on through the night to Varese where they were making them in garages, sort of, you know, hand, you know really hand-sewn. Brilliant. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. And so. one of the things that, that interests me about um, the, what you've said is that you, you even even in, in the first iteration of the brand, and we'll come on to Connolly today um, shortly, is you it is a heritage brand, but you didn't want it to feel heritagey. Yeah. And it's funny that when I uh, you know when I think of Connolly, I think of it as a couture brand. That's always the phrase that that kind of pings to mind in my head, that's... and I think that's what the fashion press go towards. Yes, it's very interesting. And when I re, you know, when we reopened Connolly 
in you know two years ago mm. for me it was very very important that it had something that was moving forward because Connolly was always about moving forward and so working with someone like Mark Odubay to design this collection which actually is very fashion forward being a you know a collection of shared wardrobe this idea that men and women can wear the jacket the trousers yeah. with a small little you know button hook <laughs> <Yeah>. or whatever <laughs> um I think I also realised that to be successful, I think in a in this market, this global luxury, all those words I hate, market, you need to have a sort of what's the word? A sort of credible fashion offering. And I wanted it to be like our leather, which was understated, beautifully cut, beautifully made, but sort of timeless but not timeless in a heritage way timeless in a way that you can wear it in 20 years time and it will look incredible like really well tailored pieces do you know and uh, that, that's another thing that fascinates me about Connolly is you know the 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 I guess just to sort of to, to root back through history very briefly Connolly uh, in its first guise closed in 2009 yes and then you re- you decided to relaunch the brand in 2016. Yeah. So we're actually sat talking about a brand in its current guise that is super, super new. Yes. And yet it has such extraordinary kind of authority in a luxury space. You know, I, 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 do you have any thoughts on how you've done that? I think, A, it's history. You know, it is a very old brand. And it's a brand, when you talk about a restaurant and selling a restaurant, you talk about the goodwill. The value is in the goodwill. And I think Connolly really has goodwill. And I think our customers, whether they're a 90-year-old racing veteran um, or a 19-year-old, and we get them all, senses this goodwill about this brand. And that's why I think it's a brand. And I think why it has value as a brand, because it has this sense of goodwill. And it also... It reinvents, it cares about its customers, you know, it's 90% of your customer base is loyal customers, really. Um, and I think we offer something that people respond to. I don't quite know what that is, but I think we do. It, it's funny, isn't it? Because mm. I completely agree. I even, you know, it, having written various things about Connolly over the years, I still don't think I can quite pin down what the magic factor is. But, no. but you just sense it as soon as you walk in the door here. And I would encourage listeners, any listeners that might be new to Connolly, to take five or ten minutes, if you happen to be in London, to um, pop by. Because it, the, the, store, the in-store experience is extraordinary. Um, but let's... Talk, so, so, OK, the brand, the brand revived in 2016. Um, let's kind of continue down this path. What, what, why did you sort of return to Connolly in 2016 and went, OK, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to revive the brand? Do you know, in... When we closed the shop, the the lease ran out and it coincided with Joe's death. So the whole thing was like, oof, I'm just going to close. You, yeah, you we we sort time. of, yeah, I shut it, I, you know, I just closed down, we sold everything. And I thought, I just need to regroup. And I decided I would re-license the leather, the car automotive leather side, to Jonathan Connolly to keep that going because I felt that we needed to start reinvigorating. I, I, I kept all the trademarks, I 
you know, I was I didn't want to lose Connolly. I nearly sold the name a couple of times, and we'd sort of get to the altar, and I, one of us would dip out. It just wasn't meant to happen, yeah. you know. And once we started licensing and producing the automotive leather again, as and the old Vomol range, which was the original range on the 1950s and 60s cars, so, you know, all those amazing British cars and... Um, Ferraris. We were back on Ferrari within a week of launching this. And I thought, wow, this really has potential still. Because I wasn't sure if people would be that interested, if they'd remember, you know, how they would feel about it. And then Jonathan worked on um, designing leather for the five limited edition E-types that they brought out, the racing E-types. And it just sort of started from there. And and then one day, a friend of mine said, there's a little house available on Clifford Street. You should go and look at it. And the rest is sort of history, as they say. Here we are today. But we had to literally redesign leather goods. I had to find designers. We had to design knitwear. We had to design tailoring. I had to design a building because it was a grade two listed, you know, starred. Um, and we had literally about 22 months to do it in. Oh, gosh. Two, yeah, just under two years. I didn't realise. I thought it sort of mm-hmm. took as long as it took, but no. you were working to a deadline. Yeah, we were. We were. Oh, crumbs. Because, you know, when you're, you've got to get a shop open, you've got to... But I had to fill it. You know, I mean, I literally couldn't open a shop with one shelf of goods. So it was extraordinary. And a tiny team, but a really great team. And I think... It was probably one of the most exciting things I will ever do in my life was getting this going again. Brilliant. And we had to find the factories again and we had to persuade them that we were, you know, we were back around. It was, a, it was incredible. And, you know, I and develop a, a team, a, a core team as well of Connolly. It's extraordinary I to know. think that you've done that twice for yes, this Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> this one was, and, you know, what was amazing, whether it was sort of meeting Lorraine again who does our knitwear who had designed knitwear for me originally in Connolly and at Joseph by coincidence just as I'd signed the lease on this building and you know or someone saying you know Ivan was asking after you at trunk and I was like oh my goodness Ivan used to run the shop it was like bringing a family back together it was really extraordinary and I think that that's something that is um rare in today's luxury market. I don't think it always feels very personal when you go into a lot of these places. I quite agree. Unless it's like the area we're in, do, mm. do you know, which, of course, then it's extremely personal and special for people. But yeah. Yeah. Well, let's... Um, actually, well, no, well, I think I'd like to get your thoughts on the luxury landscape today, but let's do that. Let's do that a little it's later a on. Phrase, luxury landscape. Isn't it? It rolls off the tongue. Yeah, I might have to use that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, okay, so you've been through this extraordinary journey to, to kind of uh, uh, resurrect Connolly. Um, and I guess you, you then threw open your doors at the end of 2016 mm. um, and received, uh, and I remember it quite vividly, an absolutely glowing response from the press and from the media. Uh, we all just fell in love with it. Oh. Uh, how did that feel? We were completely overwhelmed, actually, really, because... It was one of those, you know, when something's going to work, you, you get it sensed very quickly where the people are responding to what you've done. And I just couldn't believe it. 
I couldn't believe, I think we'd been working so hard. We hadn't really stood back to see what we'd done. And, um, you know, I remember you coming in so clearly. and Bright eyed and bushy tail. Bright eyed and bushy tail and very, very bright. And I'm um, thinking, I know, and thinking, wow. And, and, and I remember Nick Fultz coming back in. It was, it was sort of new people meeting new friends and reconnecting with our old friends and such support. I mean, incredible support. And, you know, I realised I knew a lot of people over my years with Joe. We met a lot of people and they were... And I think people were very happy to see it back. And that's what I couldn't believe. The sort of... the People were very sad when we, we closed. And I... And, you know, sometimes I think, oh, it's great you've still got that 20-year-old wallet. Please buy a new one. Otherwise, we're not <laughs> going to be around for the next, you know, reincarnation. But I love the fact that it's something they cherish. And, um, and I love that they're bringing the next generation now. So someone like Jeremy King, Jonah, his son, is now my customer as well. And, and his daughter is also my... You know, it's, it's like a... It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it's it's a family business in the true sense of the word. Do you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's also cool because actually, you know, people do try and revive storied brands yeah. every day. Yeah, and they, you know, way more kind of um, revived heritage brands fail or fail to yeah. capture no, or be true to the identity of the yeah. brand than succeed. Yeah. And yeah. yet you have. I think partly because it was very much my concept at the very beginning I really believed in this as a brand as a, as a retail brand as a men's brand so there's always been quite a consistent sense of, of what this is about since the 90s really um, and and I think the other thing is it's not stuck in its past I hope it's not and I think that's what happens. And it, it becomes predictable and it sort of becomes passé. And the really great brands out there are the ones that continue to evolve. Um, and uh, so, you know... Yeah, it's, so, it's interesting that actually a couple of, um, a couple of the kind of uh, interviewees that come from brands uh, on this series so far have all said we have to look forward yes. you know it's refreshing yeah. to hear yeah. uh, the, the sort of senior figures in independent brands sort yeah. of being forward thinking yeah. it's really reassuring for me um, let's also talk about perhaps one of the more the more forward thinking elements of Connolly that I cannot ad- ad- admire enough which is that you have one collection and you have I, I don't know how many sizes do you do for, for, for a single piece but many sizes and the idea is it's one collection for both gentlemen and ladies mm. and you can come into the shop regardless of your gender and find something extraordinarily flattering. Yes. And, you know, if it, people, I think, you know, a sort of androgynous fashion had a moment on the catwalks maybe mm. a couple of seasons ago and everyone was sort of quite sceptical. But a Connolly suit, for example, mm. does look extraordinary on a guy or on a girl. I know. I'm really... And I... You know, I see it, not on the catwalks, but I see it worn by the journalists at the catwalks, men and women, and frequently the same piece, and it really works. This is because Marco Dubé, our designer, really is one of the last great designers. 
now Carl's gone. You know, Mark really understands. He started with Truti, a sort of 18-year-old. He understands the suit. He cuts on the body. So, you know, it's fitted and cut. It's not, it's, it's sort of not drawn. Like, do you know what I mean? It is made on the body. And he, apart from anything else, is, is a, a very knowledgeable art fashion historian as well so he knows everything that have been made so how you just dart a jacket that flatters a man and a woman's I, front it's, it's extraordinary and it's, it's so it's so technical and it's really extraordinary and I think the answer is we don't produce vast collections so we'll produce sort of three jackets and two overcoats and the coats are quite easy and you know but then you get the very fitted ones that work equally as well I know I don't understand it honestly for me it's magic I promise you I don't understand it it is and you have to try it on because until people try it on they don't understand and sometimes you know sometimes people buy the jackets too big you're like no 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 it works it does work not everything the skirts we find quite hard to sell (laughs) but um, so I'm not sort of you know completely fascist about the whole thing I think but also, I think I've always loved a woman in a, a white shirt. A man's white. I think it works. It works. Doesn't matter what it is. I love, you know, a man's jumper on a girl. I love. So I think, it, and I just think generally now, men are much more open to. We've only had one reaction from a customer who was appalled. I mean, appalled that we were selling clothes that went on men and women. Strange. It was so extraordinary. Yeah. It was like, it it was so visceral. His reaction, and I thought, "Whoa, okay, very interesting." Uh, yeah. I think I think it's an absolutely incredible achievement, mm. just because, as you've said, technically the pattern work is is uh, you know almost gravity defying yes. in how clever it is. Yes. Um, but also because I'm so glad to hear you say that because so many people don't see it. I mean, I think we should. I think really it's very important what we've done here. But anyway, oh, it is. Yeah, I know. But, but also, it's it's uh, it's it's a fundamentally more progressive attitude towards fashion design than a lot of the big designer brands opt for. You know, it's a very brave thing to do. I know, but you know, they tend to like follow on from niche brands. Weirdly, they always have done, and then they do it in a way that's not quite the same. So you just end up with a slightly oversized jacket. Yeah. And that's not really what it's about at all. And not what here. you've done. No, thank no. you. No, I don't. But what, just to, to round off that, that little um, train of thought, what, whose idea was that? How did you kind of come about by saying, we're going to do one collection and it's for men and women? So after I'd signed on this property, I rang a great friend of mine in Paris and I said, Oof, I think I've got to find a designer. I've, got, I've just gone and done this thing and I... And they said, oh, you've got to speak to Marc Odubay. So I went on the train, Marc based in Paris. And Marc and I argued for a whole day about what this collection should be. And I said I wanted a collection that was very much a man's wardrobe for women, that women could wear. You know, it was that. I felt it should be a bit like, do you know, that sort of, I don't know, casual sports classic that, you know, you can wear his sports jacket and it doesn't matter and he said no no you've got to be much more forward than that we will create a collection that men and women look equally as good in and I went no it's not going to work 
Anyway, for some reason I went with it. So we argued for a day and then we just got to know each other. And, you know, in that day we sort of, it all came about and he produced this first collection. And I remember various friends of mine who were in the business and have been very successful. And they came in that first day we opened and I saw them look at the coat and the jackets. And they went, this is extraordinary. And I, yeah, it really was nothing to do with me though. (laughs) No, but it was very, you know, it was aimed to be a very, it's only certain pieces you can do this with. I mean, you know, it's not... But but it is, you know, it, it is also coincidentally, I think, the trickier elements of a wardrobe from yes. a technical perspective that, yeah. that you can do it with and that yeah. you have done it with. I mean, yeah. making a double-breasted overcoat flatter, you know, uh, a, a woman with, you know, a very slim frame versus a guy with a huge chest or, you I know, I promise you, you know, shoulders. my daughter is like five foot nothing and tiny. She wears the military coat that Mark, you know, that first one. She looks incredible in it. Brilliant. And, I, you know, I've seen big guys wearing it and they look incredible. So you think, it is extraordinary, it is extraordinary. So going back to sizing, because that's what you asked about, mm. we had to reinvent a whole sizing because you couldn't say it's a man's or a woman's or it's a women's small and a man. So we did one, two, three, four, five, six. That's what we did. And it works. And it works. Um, is there a... Do you find that... I think Connolly, you know, more than perhaps um, any other brand, you know, in independent menswear in Britain today, produces clothes that you do need to, to, to feel yes. and try on and experience in the flesh. It's a very tactile brand. Um, does that, is that a challenge for you in terms of how you grow the business in terms of digital or wholesale or things like that? Or has it not really bothered you? I think it obviously is going you know to scale anything of quality is the biggest issue how do you scale something like that so you either choose leather accessories to scale it or fragrance or do do you know what I mean but to scale a collection like the tailored collection um, you have to choose core key pieces and I think that's what we do you know we found the super wide coat from last year that's been everywhere that will come back in the winter in a different fabric and that's that's you know that that's easy people don't really need to try it on to you know we sell it online it's fine um yeah. knitwear is an important category and again there's less problem with you know fit and and that sort of thing um but it's interesting it's interesting how i'm also very interested in how brands really sell tailoring online i i'm not convinced by all, all this and I think you either get masses of returns. So I think you have to really, the way you have to do it is to have, like we're opening in Japan next month with a retail partner and that he will take the collection, um, it's suiting for his clients. He won't take it all, but he'll take good parts of it. And um, I think that's really the way to grow it with your own story in each place you want to be. And then develop it from there. And and having the bricks and mortar is. Just... I think you need the bricks and mortar. I really do. I think. Um, I think you can develop smaller whole range, you know, wholesale ranges. I think you can um, diffuse it a little bit if you wanted. You know, have a few diffusion lines. But um, I think people are buying differently now. Anyway, I think they're they're buying less but better. 
and probably, you know, I, I think there is a, it's different, it's different. Quality is going to be there. They want pieces that last a while. Well, let's, why don't we um, op- open up that, that uh, line of thought a little bit then. What, what are your thoughts on kind of the luxury landscape more broadly today? Do you think luxury is in a positive place, in a healthy place? Are there challenges out there? I think the real problem with the luxury landscape is that it's been so profitable present that it's attracting really heavyweight funds and investors who are in it possibly not for the products but for the potential in investment growth Um, which means that these big players are coming in and they're changing the landscape and it's difficult do you know it's it's sort of I almost feel like saying to them what you know what the really coolest thing you could do is keep all these smaller businesses that are around that you inspire you because without us you have nothing and use them as your creative labs use them but keep them going but what you're doing is you're blocking our factory use our you know our workshops our it's very very difficult and um, in a way it's going to be killing yeah, the thing well, the feet the hand that's luxury. feeding them yeah Yes, um, but having said that, uh, that's probably just me being a bit jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I think it is and it isn't. I think obviously it is, it is so important in any marketplace that there is variety. And, mm. you know, the, the big designer houses have extraordinary histories and a lot of them, yes, do. you know, do, do a, a marvellous job of job. staying no, true no, to them. Absolutely. But I do find, and again, this has come up a couple of times uh, in this series, I do find that there does seem to be a... Uh, I think I think those brands that are not perhaps being as honest with their manufacturing or their approach to retail as they could be are are starting to show themselves up. Um, there's definitely a a, cha- a subtle change, if you will, taking yes. place, and I think actually hopefully that will continue to benefit brands like mm. Connolly mm. um, that are doing something authentic. Yes. Yes. Um, marvelous. Well, uh, I think we're, we're we're kind of we're kind of getting there now, wrapping up a little bit. But I did I did sort of want to uh, round off with a few more thoughts. Paint paint me a picture of the Connolly customer today. Then, who who you know who, who's the the man or woman that you want to walk through the door? We have really an extraordinary range of customer. Um, I think they're loyal. I like loyal customers. They come back. Once they've discovered us, they do come back. And they can be an American partnership team, you know. Um, they can be, rap, you know, rappers. They can be um, That's my friend's son. They're, I promise you, it is a very... They can be French, they can be Italian, they can be Swiss. They, you know, really, we are getting some really, really amazingly stylish young Chinese customers coming through that are that look so good in what Mark designs and seem to want this understatement in branding now it's very it's, it's really it's really opened my eyes to, to sort of you know the Asian market which I wasn't sure we would ever they would ever want us because we're kind of a bit low-key do you know although pff, so wrong they are really there is really a sophisticated customer out there brilliant it's fantastic are, are you finding there is a move towards understatement in yes today yeah, I'm sure there is Among, I, I'm absolutely convinced I'm not sure in every culture and you know um, 
I think there's a movement towards something that's authentic in a funny way. You know, it's like they want to know that if you're going for something that's expensive, you want to know that the person who made it had a proper wage, really good conditions to work in, that, that you know, it's been designed it. by someone of great, you know, great knowledge and great sort of history. I, I don't know. There's many things that give value to a product or a piece of clothing. Um, so, you know, and I don't think it's just all about a label being splashed on it. No. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm worried now if there I is a return not. to understatement because I've got to stop ordering loud tweed jackets. Yeah. Uh, but there we oh, go. Oh, no, but that's great because it's not the loud tweed jacket. It's the sort of... Um, it's the loud... Uh, what's the word? the loudness surrounding that I mean you know I love that I've got a purple tartan coming in next winter that's so fantastic oh well I can't uh, wait it's fantastic so I hope, I hope loud tweed still exists it, next yeah, year jolly good well Isabel thank you so much um, pleasure I so enjoyed that chat um, really lovely to learn a little bit more about Connolly because it's a brand I've admired but I didn't necessarily know yeah. uh, all of the history yes which is extraordinary yeah. um, I guess one thought to, to, to wrap up on what, what is coming next that you're excited about what, do you have any news for us do you have any key pieces coming in that yeah. guys are going to want to take a look yes. at yeah mm. I've just done a we've just photographed in um, Yorkshire and th- there are two military coats that are beyond beautiful and a, a, a two button single breasted jacket Fantastic. Fantastic. So that's on the tailoring. And a couple of really good leather pieces coming in too. So a new bag. So it's good. It's good. Marvellous. Well, I can't wait to see them. (laughs) Thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Isabel. Thank you, Alex. Well, there we are. Another episode down. We hope you enjoyed. Handcut Radio will be back next Wednesday as per usual. Between now and then, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Handcut Radio, or you can email me on alex at handcutradio.com with any thoughts, queries, or feedback. Hit me up and I'll answer as soon as I possibly can. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast. It helps other people to discover it and helps us to get the word out. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Birch, a London and New York based creative agency. Check out their work at thinkbirch.com. Our theme music is by Joe Boyd. You can hear more from him at This Is Joe Boyd. All that remains is for me to say thank you very much indeed for listening, and we'll see you this time next week. <laughs> <laughs>